Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Busby Babe podcast. I'm Colin Dams here, joined by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel once again. Uh, how's it going, boys? Uh, nothing much. Just, uh, just another Friday. Friday happy hour. Let's oh, yeah, go. That's right. It is happy hour again. Um, I've let, got, us, let us announce our drinks. I've got a homebrew cider, Ooh, fancy which bar. was on tap. What I've got, got the- I've got the same thing. It's it's pink lemonade vodka with some seltzer. Because we're we're keeping it basic in more ways than one around here. And I have a grapefruit white cloth because I don't Speaking think I have any, of keeping it basic. I don't I don't think I have any beer in the house right now. So yeah. I've been putting off going to the grocery store. I haven't had beer in the house in months. Plus that makes me bloated and you know. <laughs> All right, well, we are fresh off a win over Crystal Palace, and uh, I know we've got the FA Cup semifinal coming up, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. It's good that uh, you know that, Mr. Podcast Host. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just making sure everyone else knows that. I'm, I'm not sure if Manchester United fans kept up with the schedule at all. Right. Um, they only had three months off where they could stare at it. Um, so a 2-0 win at Selhurst Park. Um, a pretty gritty win in a couple cases. Uh, Crystal Palace definitely took a couple of hacks at us. Um, there were cases where we looked tired, but for the most part, uh, a solid 2-0 win on the road. That's what you like to see from Manchester United. And um, two notable changes in the starting lineup. Timothy Fosu-Mensa starts at left back, as Polly predicted on the last podcast episode. And... Uh, probably spelling doom for Diogo Dallo going forward. And in midfield, Scott McTominay made a start at the number six position in place of Nemanja Matic. And I'm sure we have a little bit of that to talk about going forward. So uh, would you like to start with that, Polly? Because I know you've had a couple thoughts. And of course, the regular Twitter crowd has, you know, come looking for beef after a Scott McTominay performance that maybe didn't turn heads like some of them thought it did. Yeah, it was it was a Scott McTominay performance, and I was pretty clear when I saw the team, like, you know, when you know Crystal Palace are going to sit back, it was my worry that we were going to struggle to create offense, and that's basically what happened uh, the first 23 minutes, and, and watching this game back really the piece I'm currently working on is really like, what is it about McTominay that takes away from the team? Because he is not a, he is not a bad player and he doesn't pop off the page. Like his, his like, you know, Andreas Pereira is actively a bad player or uh, when, Mm -hmm. you know, when he gets the ball, it seems to bounce off his foot all the time and he can't control it. And he plays the wrong pass and he can't pass to his teammates, and he gives the ball away a ton. McTominay doesn't do that. He like he very much looks composed on the ball. So it's what about what is he doing or what is he not doing that you know the team scores more and creates more when he's not on the field than when he is. Like how is you know there's enough numbers out there that all say the same thing for you to look at it and be like, huh, maybe there's something here I should look into it and. That was really what it was in the first 23 minutes. You really saw it. he he was 
doing the same the same habits that he's been doing all year. He's taking a lot of time on the ball. He's playing these square passes laterally that are reminiscent of the Van Gaal era, which creates this labored buildup, and it allows the defense to set itself so you can't pick them out. And as a whole, United struggled. They didn't get their first shot with a foot until after the the first quarter water break. You know, their only mm-hmm. shots came off McGuire's weird header from quarter kicks. Um, they really struggled to progress the ball down the field. And it was like, why does this keep happening? You know, we made one change to the team. You know, okay, Fosu Mensa came in too, but if if we were constantly getting the ball down the left side and Rashford was getting stranded there, then I'd say Fosu Mensa probably played a part in this too. But we couldn't mm-hmm. even get the ball to Rashford down down that left wing. Why is one change bringing out the big – like my fear was that the team was going to be labored and slow, and that's exactly what happened. And why does one change do it? And then in this, as soon as the – the break was over and we saw the coaches talking to McTominay. Um, as soon as that break was over, he immediately started dropping between the center backs to create a back three, the way Matic does. He immediately started to take time on the ball. And, and I just said he was taking too much time on the ball, but that's, you know, when you're trying to catch somebody out at other times when he has time and space, he wouldn't turn on the ball and he'd simply play the way he was facing, which was a square pass. Now, all of a sudden, he started being patient, and he was like, if you guys aren't going to close me down, because the first 23 minutes, Palace were like, oh, McTominay has the ball? Cool. Take it. We're going to mark Bruno and Pogba and make sure that you don't give it to him, to them. And we're going to make Scott McTominay hurt us, and he couldn't. After 23 minutes, all of a sudden, he was taking his – he was like, if you're not going to mark me, I'm going to hold the ball and wait for the pass that I'm looking for to develop. And – Within a minute, he makes that line-breaking pass. United get their first shot that comes with a foot. Um, the goal, he started by doing the same thing. He waited. He carried it forward, waited again, and then made this excellent pass to Bruno, who was making this run. One touch to Martial, Rashford, etc. Goal. Mm-hmm. And then in the second half, he came back out and he played like he did in the first 23 minutes. And Solskjaer yanked him. And United had nine shots when he got yanked. Their expected goals was one. And over the next 27 minutes, when Matic came in, they had eight shots and had an expected goals of 0.9. So like it was almost the same level of production in half the time. And you just look at that time after the water break when the coaches spoke to him and you wonder – you see that it's there. Like, there is the talent that McTominay has, and you wonder, why does it take until a water break 23 minutes in to the 36th game of the season for McTominay to all of a sudden start looking up and trying to get the ball forward, to stop going square, but to start getting the ball forward? Solskjaer's been saying, I want my team to pass the ball, to look to go forward all season long. So why does it take till the 36th game and a, a, a water break? for that to start happening. And then where did it go? And that's, you know, like, I think ultimately that's what it is, is this game. We saw what McTominay does or doesn't do that holds us back. We saw the potential that's there. Um, it's, it's clearly just, you know, where's the consistency. 
do you think a little bit of that falls on um, McGuire, too, with him being the captain, that it's taken 23 minutes and a water break to go talk to the coaches that McTominay's making a change in the way he's playing? Because obviously McGuire's sitting behind him seeing everything. Excellent question. I literally talked about this in the piece I'm writing. Um, hey, synergy. <laughs> very early on, very early on, uh, it was like McTominay missed this chance to drop into the bat into in between the center backs to create the back three. And as a result, United had to go from Foster Mensa to McGuire to Lindelof to Juan Bissaka. And it took exactly as long as I just described to do that. The fullbacks couldn't push up, et cetera. And I said, maybe this was like six or seven minutes in the game. And I said, maybe they're not going to play this way because against Villa, uh, McTominay wasn't, positionally disciplined when he came on and in staying in that back three or knowing when to drop in. So maybe they're not going to play that way because Solskjaer doesn't trust McTominay to do that. Or maybe because Fosu Mensa is in, he doesn't want the fullbacks bombing forward as much. And then like five minutes later, McGuire had the ball and he's holding it and he points at McTominay and gives him this arm shove of, Hey, get back. And McTominay then drops into the back three and they play on. So, McGuire was taking that under his wing and saying, Hey dude, your role here, like your job, do it. Um, which it, it, it's just weird that like he hasn't grasped. That's my concern is the mental aspect of this, because again, it's sometimes he holds on to the ball too long. Sometimes he, you know, doesn't take the time and space that he has and say, you know what, if you're going to let me carry the ball, I'm going to carry the ball, which is something that Matic does very well. And I think that's like an instinct thing. I don't think that can be coached. I think that's instinct. And he's not developing those instincts. You know, he could work with Carrick on his passing all day. But if he's if he isn't learning that sense of timing and when you have time and when you don't have time and when it's OK to take time, that's kind of a problem. Yeah, and do you think that maybe, too, it's playing in this number six role that is a little bit detrimental to him? Because it's it's not just, you, you know, his area of specialty, especially the defensive part of it. And I think Crystal Palace kind of took advantage of our lack of defending counterattacks at times, uh, although they didn't score once. So maybe that's worth saying as well. But also, if you look at the way that Paul Pogba had to play yesterday, he ended up playing a little bit deeper, it seemed. Um, and both he and Bruno, it seemed like they didn't grow into the game as quickly as maybe we needed them to, and especially Bruno. Uh, in the second half, when Matic did come on, he started getting on the ball more. And, you know, he, mis- he misplaced a lot of those passes, but he ended up, you know, with an assist, I guess, on the first goal, and then he was involved in the buildup on the second one as well. Yeah, uh, well, when Pogba plays with McTominay, he ends up dropping deeper as a whole. And I don't know if that's by design, if that's because of something that Pogba's doing, if Pogba's trying to get himself more on the ball, if that's because McTominay's not taking the right role. But like we saw it a lot against Chelsea on the opening day of the season. We saw it a lot against Arsenal in -hmm. September. Um, Part of it and part of why Bruno and Pogba weren't getting into the game as fast as you want is because at times, Crystal Palace had two or three guys on them, and they were just letting McTominay roam free. And I, I very much remember Rochdale doing the same thing. They put three guys on Pogba, and they just let Fred 
run through the midfield. Because at that point, Fred had played like one and a half games and was coming off a terrible year. Mm-hmm. So they basically said, Fred, beat us. Like, we're not going to let you get the ball to Pogba. We're going to make Fred do the things. But, yeah, when he struggles in the sixth role, people say, well, it's because he's a box-to-box midfielder. But, like, his numbers going forward are terrible. He doesn't create any chances. Uh, he doesn't really get into the box. When he struggles going forward, then people, oh, he's, you know, he's the heir apparent to Matic and he's, you know, the defensive guy. I will say this. He did a fantastic job breaking up counterattacks, as he always does. Um, he had, there was one play in particular where United lost the ball and Palace made a couple of plays really quickly. Um, and McTominay got back and got into a physical kerfuffle with, uh, I forget who it was on Palace. He ends up fouling him. It's a tactical foul, but he does it in a way that it doesn't make it seem like it's a tactical foul. It doesn't make it seem like it's a booking. So he doesn't get booked and United are able to get back. It's a great play. That's a fantastic play. It's a fantastic job in midfield. It's probably what we were missing um, when Bergwijn against Spurs came flying down the attack on Fred's side of the field. If McTominay was on that side of the field, we probably would have seen a foul there, and Bergwijn probably doesn't score that goal. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what McTominay is really good at. It's just that when you then put the ball on his feet and you're sitting back, his decision-making doesn't seem to be quite there and I think like I think an important thing to realize is it's kind of like what Brent and I spoke about in the slack group this morning is last year at the end of the year he stood out because of his effort and his passion and everything that he was doing in a team that really lacked effort and passion he wasn't good he looked better than the rest of the team because they were that bad. But, like, the team was still not even getting results. And at the beginning of the season, you now have a younger team. And his effort and his passion again stood out. And that fire really helped the team grind out results when they were lacking talent. Um, when Pogba was hurt and Martial was hurt. And they needed that. Um it, it doesn't yeah. hurt either when you're a central midfielder that scores a couple goals. And I think those are both periods where he scored two or three goals each. Right. Yeah. Um, but then, but like the team that he left when he got hurt on Boxing Day to the team that he came back is a much different team. You have Harry Maguire became the captain and has really taken this leadership under his wing. And he is really become a presence in the dressing room. You brought in Bruno Fernandez, who uh, has this big leadership personality who has become a leader in this team right away from day one. Marcus Rashford has really grown into himself this season. Anthony Martial is running around flying, um, mm-hmm. you know, when he was used to be criticized for lack of effort. So this team no longer has an effort or passion problem. And they have a lot more talent now. And I think now that they have 11 guys that can play, the talent discrepancy between those 11 guys and McTominay is starting to get highlighted. And it's just it's clear that before when when they weren't, you know, when the young guy, when there was a young team that couldn't settle in or last year when nobody was trying his effort, his passion could make up for lack of talent and can blend in. And now it can't. The team is too talented that it's he's just not at their level anymore. Yeah. I think um, 
one that's a really good point about McTominay and you know just the kind of player that he is but it's also kind of a good segue into these other two players that I wanted to talk about from this game and really from the Southampton game I thought they were the two best as well as Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial um, Nathan you did the player ratings and we talked about them a little bit uh, post-match on the live stream but I mean Marcus Rashford for me was the outfield man of the match in this one um, not only you know, sitting down three Crystal Palace players to open up for that first goal, but, you know, makes the crucial driving run on the second one that sets up, you know, Bruno down the left-hand side, creates some space in the middle, and then plays that one-touch pass to send Marcy all through on goal. I was wondering, you know, what you saw from them. I, I know you gave them, I think, the two highest ratings in the team in your player ratings, or maybe not as high as VAR, but... Um, <laughs> so they, they were tied for second. I, I gave yeah. uh, David De Gea a 10 out of 10. Okay. Um, gave Marcus and Tony both nines. I was I was super, super impressed, especially with Rashford in particular. Um, we were a little disappointed coming at, out of the break because we had all these high hopes for Rashford and... Uh, whether it was rust or maybe just a little bit of pressure. Uh, I mean, didn't he hadn't of... really played a fo- full football game in six months by that point. So <laughs> Exactly. So he wasn't firing at all cylinders, and we were kind of hoping he would just come roaring out of the gate. After... Which, is, which is also why the, like, let's, let's wade Pogba into these waters, but Rashford we could throw into the dirt, like throw into the deep end when they were yeah. injured three weeks apart, made no sense. <laughs> exactly. But it, it, at least that's the sense I've gotten from talking to other friends who – support the team. And so it was, I mean, they weren't upset with Rashford. They were just kind of bummed that he didn't just come out, you know, guns hot. But mm-hmm. now he, he started. Especially given like the week he had right before the first game. Yeah. I mean, he basically oh. pants the entire British government <laughs> by himself. I mean, the narrative, the narrative was set up for him to like, just go out and destroy Mourinho. Yeah. I mean, God forbid if Rashford was in a different country, he'd probably be tweeted at incessantly because he didn't score a goal in in the Tottenham game. Uh, But I digress. Um, Yeah. Against um, Crystal Palace, I was just super impressed. That first goal that he scored, um, I mean, he's going up against grown ass men. And he was just like, wait, I'm a five star skiller on FIFA. Like you, you guys aren't going to touch me right here. And he just bossed it right there inside the in the penalty area. And he has every year shown a new part of his game or something um, that's improved or something that you didn't even know he was capable of. And, you know, every time he has a good game, I try and you don't want to get too excited or overhype it. But it's like Rashford clearly has it, whatever it is. And, you know, during this game, especially in that second goal, too. The give and go that him and Bruno were playing where, uh, you know, Bruno's getting the hockey assist and Rashford is, you know, basically playing the role of maestro to set up Anthony Martial for a goal. And it's just the combo. We knew that Rashford and Martial together were a good duo. They they liked to combo together, you know, before Mourinho, during Mourinho um, and then with Solskjaer. And it's like when they finally put in a system where they're constantly getting good service and they can start really upping their shot totals, it's no surprise that they're starting to play so, so well and having those higher, you know, tallies. And then Martial having the confidence that Solskjaer has given them to finally just play in that number nine role instead of sticking them out on the wing and expecting him to do, you know, 
things that maybe he's not comfortable with or just also railing through him in uh, post-match interviews. But I, I think at this point, it's fair to say that Martial is the, the out-and-out number nine, and while it's good to get more depth for the position, I think he's the guy that you roll with, and I think he's finally playing in his, the position he should be playing in. It's only been, uh, only took us, what, four or five years to do it? Yeah, and I'm, I mean, he played that position for some of the Louis van Gaal yeah. season, but even then he was moved out to the left wing, I think, by the end of it. And well, when Rashford came, yeah, he got moved to the left wing. Yeah. I, I think uh, the key is is Rashford has to score because Mortiel and Rashford in their quest for top goal scorer is kind of like our quest to rein in Chelsea. Like every time Rashford scores, Martial is right on his tail. But whenever yeah. Martial has the chance to overtake Rashford, uh, he's not doing it. So <laughs> I think the key is Rashford's got to score first because when that happens, Martial is like, well, I got to catch up again. Um and buries those goals. And there's yeah. just a lot to be said right now. They have 22 goals each. I mean, are those numbers that we even dreamed possible like two years ago? I mean, when it was really bad, you yeah, know? When I was uh, doing the preseason pod with Matt, I made the prediction that Rashford would score 20 this year, but I didn't think that anyone else in the squad would break 20. I didn't think that Martial would do it. And, you, you know, Martial is. Rashford is kind of a player that we expected to continue on his trajectory because of what he showed us last season under Solskjaer. But with Martial, I think back in January, we had a discussion about him. And even, you know, during the COVID break, the three months between one of those episodes, we talked a lot about Martial and whether he can be reliable. I think, you know, since the restart, he's come out and he's scored in six straight home games and, you know, scored a really important goal on this you know, last away game. He's really feeding yeah. off the energy of the Stratford end. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, he, you know, he caught up to Rashford basically, you know, even though Rashford has come back healthy as well. And I think Martial, it's worth saying how well he played even before just, or just before the COVID uh, suspension of football in February and March as well. Uh, he's a player who's just really grown into this role. And I think he's started to feed off his own confidence, which is, you know, over a longer stretch of time than just three or four games, which is really important for him. Yeah, and as we played arm, you know, armchair psychologists, you could tell it. It, it, it seems <laughs> like his, his confidence and his abilities just every week that Mourinho shit talked him more, he would play less and less good. I mean, it, it, he's definitely less a and guy less that, well, Nathan. This is why you don't have the Twitter keys. He, he was playing fewer good. <laughs> Um, if he was playing fewer good, um, he, I, I think Marcial's finally got the manager that he needs is what is the point I'm getting at. Um, I mean, he came out pretty well in the Louis van all system, but I think we all knew that the Louis van all system just wasn't good for Manchester United. And then Mourinho was quite possibly the worst possible manager for Marcial to have. He's just, he's a guy that needs to have. He needs to be built up, you know, not to- torn down. And you hear, I think it was, I think it's Rooney who said that he preferred that Ferguson kicked him in the ass. Um, and guys respond to that. And other guys just need to have reassurance in when they're having a lack of confidence, which is right, clearly what Yeah. I, I, 
it's interesting. And I Martial's one of the more interesting cases on when you think about Martial, Matic also, like players that because there were reports at the end of last year because there there was that that video for, on Twitter um of the warm up I think it was against Chelsea where Martial was on the bench and he just wasn't taking the warm up seriously at all and people were like his attitude he he was basically like Lukaku and the rest of the people were like he's he's one of the attitude people he's got to go um mm-hmm. and you know it, he didn't take off under Solskjaer he scored that beautiful goal against Cardiff and he scored that really nice individual goal against Fulham, and I think that was it. Like, yeah, he where, scored against it was like Watford or something at home. It was it was when we started to yeah. struggle, but we're still winning games. Right. Yeah. So, and that was it. Like Rashford took off under Solskjaer, and even Lingard started playing well. But like Martial was part of that front three, which was really dangerous, but he wasn't scoring. And there were after that, you know, his attitude was called into question, and after that. Um, after that Chelsea game, there were reports that basically said Solskjaer was done with him and he was ready to sell him. And I don't know if that's true. And I'm sure if it was true, like Joel Glazer probably stood in again and said, "Uh uh-uh, like (laughs) you ain't selling my boy. Um, And I, I remember writing in my, writing in my personal blog, basically being like, if, if Solskjaer says Martial's got to go and, Joel Glazer says, I'm not selling him, then this rebuild is fucked. Because if the manager says, you're out, and the owner says, no, then what good is the manager? And what and everything that the manager is going to try to achieve, that's not going to happen. Um, but I, I also remember coming back, uh, I remember at the beginning of the season, I was talking to Colin on my short-lived and ill-fated podcast, and this was like a day before the transfer window went down and I, and I remember saying to him, I said, they haven't, Lukaku's about to get sold. They haven't released the squad numbers yet, which is weird. And I bet you it's because when they sell Lukaku, they're going to announce that they gave the number nine back to Martial. And they can't announce that until Lukaku goes. And that's what happened. And, and then like, it, it comes out this week that like Solskjaer sent him a message and said, do you want your, do you want to take the number nine back? And Martial's like, absolutely. Like I responded right away. And Solskjaer then said like, fine, but now you got to earn it. Like now you got to prove that, that you deserve it. And so like he, he extended the olive branch in, in a way, to, mm-hmm. so to say, to say, I am going to offer this to you uh, as a vote of confidence, but also issued him a challenge and said, you got to prove me right here. And he started that well. He scored two goals in his first two games, and then he kind of went away for a bit. He also got hurt. Uh, But he's come back really strong. And, you know, I saw someone tweeted today about, like, uh, how Solskjaer's, you know, like what Nathan just said, Mourinho just kept shit-talking him. And someone was like, and how did Solskjaer get through to Martial? And someone was like, he just showed him respect. Like, it's that simple. Like... (laughs) Yeah, it turns like, out yeah. when you treat people like people, they respond well to it. <laughs> like you look at Luke Shaw, like he's yeah. just showed him respect. But it, I think Martial and and Matic are interesting cases because some people respond right away. Like Rashford responded right away. Um, Pogba responded right away, like with Solskjaer. Yeah. But uh, Martial might have fallen out with him at the end of last season. And Matic at the beginning of this season, who knows what was going on to the point that you, there's still been no announcement as to what 
Matic's quote-unquote injury was at the beginning of the year. He was just away from the squad. And uh, Brent was ta- I remember talking to Brent where Brent was like, I think Solskjaer just sent him away. Like, And have you noticed that all of a sudden those reports about senior members not trusting Solskjaer have dried up since Matic has been gone? And like, that really fueled the he's going to leave in January rumors. Mm-hmm. And then he brings him back into the team in the Cups in December, which I think was window shopping him. Wasn't there rumors he was going to go to Inter? There, uh, yes, but then Inter kind of denied them. But like, there were there were Italian clubs interested in him. Like, <laughs> yeah. if, so if, so maybe the senior member that didn't trust Solskjaer was actually Ashley Young. <laughs> <laughs> um, if uh, I think if if McTominay and Pogba didn't get hurt again, like. Matic could have would have been out the door in January, um, yeah. and but instead, kind of, yeah, and he kind brings of him back into the fold. And look at where look at where yeah. Matic is now. His game new is contract. new contract, but his game itself is better than it's ever been in a United shirt. And and the guys speaking glowingly about Solskjaer. So it's interesting that it's not just like he comes in and goes, this is my strategy for how to deal with people, but he's also shown the ability to like to mend bridges or reach people in different ways. Whereas with Mourinho, it was like, I'll throw you under the bus and you either respond or you don't. It's sink or swim. And with Solskjaer, it's like, all right, like what I was doing with you didn't work, but I'll, I'll, I'll try another thing. And, it, eventually he's found ways to reach basically all these guys. And I think it's also worth mentioning that the culture that he's trying to introduce very much stresses that whoever is here, you will be given a chance to prove yourself, but you may not have many more chances after this. I think Nemanja Matic definitely took his chance. Yeah. I, and, and I, this is also something I touched on earlier in the season when people kept saying, like, why do we keep running back Pereira and and Lingard and we're not even giving Gomez and I we're, we're not even giving Gomez and Chong a look. And I think at the at the very beginning of the season, it was uh, like, I am going to let the veterans tell me that they can't play. You know, I'm going to give them every chance they can to prove themselves. And if if a youngster comes in. Like the youngster has to play out of his mind to mm-hmm. unseat them. Basically, pull a Marcus Rashford. You basically have to be given a chance and say, "I am not letting go of this chance." And he played Gomez and Greenwood in the Europa League, and and I thought Gomez in that first game against Astana was the best player on the pitch. When he left the game, it was nil nil. So like, how much impact did you have? And he came on, albeit in a short cameo the following Sunday against West Ham in a difficult situation and did nothing, but again, difficult situation, but slowly, but surely in in the cups and everything, he wasn't showing like, Hey, you need to give me a chance. So like, yeah, like Solskjaer is like, I'm just going to be loyal to my guys and give them their chance to, um, give them their chance to earn it. But we also, we also have seen that as soon as he has the opportunity to say like, I've had to ride Pereira and Lingard all year, but we saw him yell at Lingard in the League Cup against City, and as soon as he finally had any sort of depth that he could drop them, he dropped them both from the matchday squad. And, you know, as soon as Bruno Fernandes has come in, they, they've they each gotten an opportunity against Bruges and against Norwich, and they haven't done anything to earn more. And, you know, 
Wingard basically hiring Rayola was an admission that, like, I'm out the door and I'm going and hiring a guy not to renegotiate my United contract, but to negotiate me the best deal elsewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it for part one. Uh, we are going to come back after the break and preview the semifinal against Chelsea on Sunday in the FA Cup. So stay tuned. And welcome back to part two. Uh, we are going to preview the semifinal in the FA Cup against Chelsea on Sunday. But first, a message from Polly about uh, giving us a call and engaging with us so that we can have things to talk about on the podcast. 617 Busby Bay. Call it. Leave a voicemail. No one will pick up ever. Leave a voicemail. Fucking call us, nerds. Yes, all of that. All right. So we are going into this game on Sunday. 3-0 and against Chelsea this season. Uh, the famous opening day 4-0, of course, and the League Cup 2-1 with the Rashford free kick Galazzo, and then a 2-0 win against them at Stamford Bridge. Um, Nathan, do you think that this bodes well for us going into this game? Just first initial thoughts. Um, I mean, if we're just doing a vibe check right now, like this, this definitely feels like it's a guaranteed loss. like everything's gone so right for so long and then Southampton and a good portion of that Crystal Palace game were both squeaky bum time and Southampton is a good team uh, despite losing 9-0 this season I think effectively we can all agree that they are a good good football team and I mean that that loss kind of hit the reset on them they've been really good ever since yeah and so and also despite the one stumble that Chelsea's had, they've been very, very good since the restart. And um, they discovered that they have a really good talent in their left wing position. It just took uh, a pandemic and a couple injuries to figure it out. Um, Right now, I think it's really interesting because United and Chelsea, both are teams that are clicking. And clearly this is like a microcosm battle to see who's more worthy of top four, even though this particular game is not going to affect that. Um, so I think it's kind of wild how the how the schedule's worked out. I am excited for the game, um, but it wouldn't shock me if United did come into this thing with a little bit too much confidence and all of a sudden Chelsea can, has the ability to punch them in the mouth. Um, so the what's really going to come down to it is does Chelsea finally decide to defend this weekend? Because if they do, then, you know, this this is going to be a full 90 minutes, possibly extra time kind of game. But if um, Rudiger and Christensen and, and Zuma continue to be incredibly um, unreliable, then it could be the Tony Martial show, which would be incredible. And I'd really like that, too. So, like, initial vibes, it wouldn't surprise me if we lose. Um, but I'm still confident that we can win and go to the final. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a lot of factors that come into this, uh, you know, both United and Chelsea. I mean, there's only one point that separates us in this top four race. Um, Chelsea have an extra couple of days rest, but they also have to play, you know, two days after this semifinal, the same as we do. And they play a much tougher opponent in Liverpool at Anfield. Uh, where the you know they have to just be rocking, yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah, but like it's it's trophy day. I spoke to my friend who's a Liverpool fan because he's a little 
women Pullman dropping points left and right. And I was like, yeah. well, now that the record's off the table, kind of still need you to <laughs> yeah. uh, like take points off Chelsea. And he was like, look, like everybody's been like, oh, should we be concerned they're dropping points? And, and it's all bullshit. But he goes, if we can't get up for it on trophy day, he's like, then maybe I'll have some concerns. <laughs> right. I mean, first they can't win a double and then. They might have. They whatever. might finish with fewer points than they did last year, which would be hilarious. Like, you mean less? <laughs> fewer points. <laughs> All right. I mean, I mean fewer. <laughs> but yeah, I'm. I mean, Chelsea. Right, on the I think Nathan, you pointed out that Chelsea's you know big weakness has been their defense this season. You know, for teams in the top half of the table, they have the worst defensive record. Um, Kepa Aretha Balaga has the least amount of saves in the Premier League, which is super alarming. He is um, hilarious. As a, a lot of, by the way, yeah. actually bad. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. And, you know, a lot of teams have been able to carve them open this season. It's not just been us. So and also what's worth mentioning, you know, news breaking this morning that arguably their best player, you know, probably their only right now what we would qualify as world class player in Golo Kante is not going to be available for this one. Uh, who is a huge defensive screen for them in midfield. Oh, man, um, do we have to worry about Jorginho? Whoa, are we living in, like, 2018? Because <laughs> last time I checked, it, like, every meme says, well, 2020 is the worst thing, and I can confirm that, and it sounds like are, we are living in 2020. Are we living post-N'Golo Conte is good? No, N'Golo Conte is really good. Uh, he's not world-class anymore. And Chelsea... His FIFA ratings are the worst thing about Sarri was that he wasn't people were like well why is Sarri playing him in a more advanced position this is dumb but like Lampard's played him in that same more advanced mm-hmm. position so yeah like losing him it's it's kind of like losing your under Herrera but uh he he's not the force for Chelsea that he used to be right and you know, going forward, Chelsea definitely have goal-scoring options, but it's worth mentioning that they've lacked potency in these last couple of games, despite the fact that they've been, you know, winning pretty regularly since the restart. Their two losses have come from games where they, you know, probably had the better part of possession and still couldn't break through defenses when they needed to. And- Colin, you got to follow me on Twitter. Uh, this They've had over 60% possession. Um in those two games, mm-hmm. it turns out, you know, how the whole first half of the season, they were talking about, well, Manchester United, when they play teams that don't want possession, they really struggle. It turns out Chelsea struggle with that, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, like in the first half of the season, both teams played a similar number of games where they had 60 percent or more possession and they dropped points in a similar amount of games. And in the second half of the season, they had played a similar amount of games with 60% possession, and United are now winning those games, whereas Chelsea are still dropping points at the same rate. Yeah. And I I think it's worth mentioning, you know, going forward, they have a, their best players, it seems to me, are they're sort of like free-roaming wingers that are almost as much attacking midfielders as they are wingers. You know, Christian Pulisic and Willian, you know, really doing a lot of the work offensively. But um, fullback, especially if Luke Shaw is healthy, has been one of our strength, strong sets, you know, this season. And especially Aaron Wambasaka, I would really trust against Christian Pulisic in this matchup. 
Yeah, our, our matchups are, are nice there because, uh, I mean, William doesn't doesn't have the pace that he used to, which will help out Luke Shaw, whereas Aaron Wan-Bissaka is, is very much up to the task of handling the pace that Christian Pulisic brings and the and the change of pace that he can bring, too, because um, he is a patient defender and he knows that Christian Pulisic is going to look for, um, you know, a shimmy here or a shimmy there to try and put him off. Um I think defensively, the big matchup we're, we're going to have to worry about is if they if they decide to play Giroux for any significant amount of time, you know Giroux is going to try and target uh, being in the area of Lindelof to make Lindelof have to mark him because Giroux is very good in the air, um, and Chelsea are going to want to put in crosses. So it's going to be a challenge for Lindelof in, in an area that you know I think we can all agree he struggled with this season. Uh, yes, I think. There's, there's two things here. I think one is United are actually really good at hiding their flaws in this regard, whereas, like, you know, Troy at Old Trafford, Troy Deeney came in and just sat on Lindelof, and United just, you know, as a way of being like, well, I'm going to, you know, we're going to play long balls to Deeney against Lindelof, and he's going to win them, and United cut off the supply to them. At Old Trafford, Harry Kane did the same thing to Lindelof, and Lindelof beasted him. Um they are good at like if if you have a striker that's going to do that, they are good at cutting that off. There's also they're good at hiding things like this. Like you know, Fred's not a big guy, and when you play goal kicks long, um, and your midfielders have to get up for an aerial ball, typically Maguire steps like as that goal kick gets taken, Maguire steps up in the midfield and Fred steps back to center back Maguire then wins the header and they immediately switch. Like when they're down on the, on the side, it's Shaw will step into midfield and Fred will, will slot over to left back. And after that initial aerial duel, they switch back. So like United are pretty good at hiding that. I also think Bayi might come into the team because it's an FA cup game, because I think there's so much pressure on both managers Right now, there's so much external pressure um, to rotate their squads because of the whole top four thing. I think both of them are going to end up in the top four. Um, and but the matter to, to the managers, both of these managers have won the FA Cup. It means a lot to them. Mm-hmm. The FA Cup in general, but also a trophy. Like if they can get a trophy this year, like remember, like. Jose Mourinho spun his first season into a raging success, and his his supporters will still tell you how successful he was that first season. He finished sixth. He won two trophies. He won the least important League Cup, and he won the Europa League. And they're like, "Well, he won two trophies, so and? it was a great it was a great season." Yes, okay. He won the Europa. He won the Community Shield. Uh, I have something <laughs> to say about that. <laughs> David Moyes won the Community Shield, and you will never, ever, ever hear him brag about it because when he won that Community Shield, he immediately said, this is Sir Alex's because Sir Alex did all the work to get us here. Uh, Uh, Jose Jose Mourinho actually did say, like, after winning the Community Shield, that it was, you know, it was because of Louis van Gaal that we were here. But but then he did the whole thing. Yeah, then claimed it as his own. Yeah. Which tells you exactly what kind of person Jose Mourinho is. But anyway, um, I think for both managers, like the chance to get to a cup final is right there. And it's so big. Solskjaer's not exactly great at rotating his team. 
Um, we saw this last year when he he played around the first few games when he took over, but like quickly realized like I can't take I can't take Lingard out. Then the then the press falls apart. I can't take Under Herrera out. Then the midfield falls apart, and he just went, "You're my guys!" Like you're, and he ran them into the ground. Um, the only time he made changes was Reading and uh, who'd they play in the. No, that, that was it, Reading, because then they played Arsenal in the next round. So a lower-level team. And he did the same thing this year. Like, with Wolves in the first round of the FA in the third round of the FA Cup, he made wholesale changes. So, like, at that stage of the competition, he's willing to make wholesale changes. And when we played Norwich, who were just garbage, he was like, well, my second team should be able to beat them. But he kept Bruno Fernandes in there. And the mm-hmm. second team wasn't able to beat them. So it it's hard for me to think that like wholesale changes are going to come. I think like two or three might come. Uh, Matic not playing against Crystal Palace is like a sure sign he's going to play. Maybe Pogba sits out because they did make a thing. It might have just been Luckhurst who was like, oh, he was a little tired on Monday and that's why I subbed him out. But he said he could go. I wasn't going to play him Monday, but he said he can go. But as soon as Solskjaer's found his – remember like the whole first – half of the season he was basically picking his team by based on who's available like mm-hmm. you're not injured cool you play and like it was 10 out of the 11 guys picked themselves and then it was do i start Wingard today or do i start Pereira and now he finally finds his first choice 11 he plays them five games in a row so it's yep. it's hard for me to believe to say like we've got three games left maybe two like you know maybe two or three changes come in but like one of those changes could be Luke Shaw or maybe like he'll roll Fosu Mensa back but like another change could be Eric Bailly and then like you know he could play the Mourinho card of like well I made three changes and it's like Shaw, Bailly and like Fred come come in or you know I wouldn't hate Daniel James coming in because like you know Colin was alluding to this Chelsea had more of the ball and they are very open to counterattacks and it's not the worst idea in the world to like absorb the pressure and hit them on the counter. We, when we had the talent to do that, we beat them four nil and then we beat them two nil. And it was, you know, when we, when we were in a rut in our season, we were able to beat them two one because of a spectacular free kick and a penalty. But now we have the talent again. So like, yeah, going like Chelsea are so vulnerable up the middle, like hit mm-hmm. them there. Yeah. Bruno needs a rest. Pogba needs a rest. Rashford needs a rest. But like, does Rashford need a rest? Like when has Rashford ever taken a rest? He broke his back from playing every damn game. Like the guy and refuses to take a seat. Like this is, this is also a game where if you want to bring in Bruno and Pogba at some point, you could probably wait until the second half to try and do that. It is, but you you just – what do you do then? Like, because mm-hmm. here's the thing. If you if you take them – if you take them both out, even if you start Matic and Fred, you're, like, getting the ball from defense to the attack, it, there's really no path there especially without Bruno like it's it's mm-hmm. much dif- it's much more difficult so are you going to start Martial and and Rashford and let them run around for 60 minutes when like there's no service coming to them or are you going to go to everybody and go we're going to start Daniel James we're going to start Juan Mata we're going to start Odi Igalo 
and really put out the B team. So, so like, you know, there's, there's give, I personally maybe go Fred and Matic and, and play Pogba higher up. And in six, after 60 minutes, if you're ahead, you could take Pogba off and bring on Bruno. Or if you're not ahead, you can bring on Bruno and take somebody else off. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I just think there needs to be a balance. And I think that's how the managers are going to feel like, you know, they're playing in this. It's not the dead of winter. These players are pretty fit. People say, oh, they were exhausted. Um, and there are people that were saying they looked tired and they weren't running as hard against Crystal Palace. They pressed a hell of a lot more against Crystal Palace than they did against Southampton. And they pressed a hell of a lot more against Crystal Palace than they did against Aston Villa. They ran a lot more. Maybe that means they're tired now. Maybe. But like they weren't they weren't as tired as people said they were on Thursday. And it's it's the FA Cup semifinal. I just I can't see Solskjaer mail it in. And Chelsea are so susceptible mm-hmm. up the middle, but like we need to have the people that can make them pay for that. Right. Nathan, what do you what would you do in this situation? Um I I like the idea of probably going strongest lineup first and it, it this the same format that we've been projecting now for the last couple of games as we tried to anticipate um, the squad rotation and it never came. The, the idea of let's just go punch them in the mouth. Let's go kill the game off early. Um, if that's a possibility. Um, yeah. It, it, and I think too, because it is a semifinal, it's not Tranmere, you know, and it's against mm-hmm. Chelsea. I, I think this game, despite it not me, yielding three points, for a potential Champions League spot, I think this game is just as important um, for the chase of trophies, for the prestige of it, um, especially the two managers that are coaching it. You know, they are still, they're from the era of the FA Cup means something. Um, and they're certainly not like Jose Mourinho, where they're like, this is just a thing that we do. No, uh, Mourinho actually really likes the FA Cup. Does he? Yep. Yeah. Uh, He's in the FA Cup documentary. He's like in, growing up in Portugal. Like we watched every year. Yeah. Well, it, it's like a really important trophy to him. I mean, I mean, based on some of the like the podcast, other podcasts and stuff I listen to, you know, it, it it sounds like over the years the FA Cup has lost out on its luster as the Premier League's just gotten bigger. But there are still those people who take it very, very seriously. And you know, we have a lot of young British talent. Uh, and we have a guy that has won the FA Cup and reveres it as well. And so I think I think there's going to be the push inside the dressing room to make a statement here. So I, I'd run out the, the starting 11 and let's let's do it. Let's do this thing. It's, it's hard yeah. to see him leaving Martian Rashford out. They're just yeah. they're that, so that's good. my thing. I, I need I think I would want to see both of them start this game. And yeah. uh, especially the way that Martial is playing, I I. I feel like he's got goals against Chelsea in him right now. Yeah, and I mean, I I would have said play Mata, James, and Igalo on Thursday because like Mata played has played well against the lesser teams of the Premier League. That and and uh, and I would have said play like. Did you just say Chelsea's a lesser team? No, no, no. Like <laughs> I would have said to play this against Crystal Palace and okay. that Igalo's good enough in the build-up play and the hold-up play and. Um, and 
Um, and you could have – you know, he could play that false nine where James can run in behind. You have the speed there. Mata, you'd get some creativity, and and that's not a bad team that you'd be worried about shipping goals against you. That, I, you know, if you were nil-nil, you could then bring on your starters in the second half. And Igalo maybe gives you a little bit more directness where if, like, you just need to pummel the ball into the box for a number nine, like, he can provide that. Mm-hmm. And that would have given Martial and Rashford a little bit of a breather. And Solskjaer was basically like, I'm letting, you know, it's I, I'm not thinking about Sunday when I pick this team. And I think that might be his attitude for the rest of the season. Like, I'm not thinking about, you know, like. He's, he's Belichicking it right now. Yeah, he's. Our focus and, is and on this, Cincinnati. This could be, this could be a situation to get nervous about for Solskjaer in the future. Like. Hey, maybe you don't know how to rotate your squad at all. Like you don't know how to make the one, two, three changes that are needed to keep the squad fresh. Well, uh, part of that though is we've and we've talked about it before. It I just don't think Solskjaer has confidence in it, in his bench. No, he's got two no. guys that he's like, all right, I feel pretty good about putting them in. And other than that, he's like, do I really have to? Like, do I really have to? Right, and you know he's hoping to just get through next week so that way he can just start shipping mofos off of this team again um he's raring to do it i think yeah i mean i think he was hoping that maybe lester would drop points against sheffield and against tottenham and like he could possibly have top four wrapped up before going to lester but i you know like it's it's they had a whole off-season break and they are not playing in the dead of winter to play Mm -hmm. twice a week and run them out, and then and then they get what? Like, when's the FA Cup final? Uh, a week after the season ends, I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think it would be the weekend after that. They have six days. They have six August days. August first. Yeah. So they they'd have from Sunday to Saturday to recover, and then you have what? August fifth is the game against last, but we know he's. Yeah, you know, every that is an entirely rotated squad. So they'll have another week, and then it's three more games at most. You know, you can run your squad out there. That last game would be perfect for Angel Gomez if he's still on the team. <laughs> that you can you can run your squad out there. The the only problem is right now this is the most right for the picking Chelsea like Chelsea United match of the season. Like yep. so tactically, Solskjaer's got Lampard in his in his pocket. Uh, it's not just the fact they've beaten them three times. It's the fact that like what I what I said before, like they were having the same issues. And Solskjaer's fixed his. Lampard has not shown the ability to do that. Uh, yeah. Now United have a full-strength squad. Chelsea, like, have defensive issues. They are so right for the picking, but it's just in a vacuum. United should roll this, but, like, can you beat a team four times in a season? Like, that's – oh. Yeah. Uh, that's just feels like it's going to balance out. And, like, even if they – and then the opportunity – That doesn't even factor in the occasion of it, you know, what that can do for people, you know, mentally or – you know, which team will find an edge in that sort of situation or find that extra motivation. I don't even know if that's extra motivation or anything. It's just like, you know, even the one seed and sorry for going to American sports, but like how often does the one seed sweep the eight seed in basketball or in hockey? Like rarely, it's just not easy to do. Well, in basketball, a lot, hockey. Not Actually, yeah, no, yeah. Basketball, <laughs> they do. As yeah, a Cavs fan, that's like, you know, usually the round that we can just sit back. That's that's when the Cavs are playing the Raptors and you just take that week off. Right. <laughs> We've it's, never played the Raptors in hockey, round one. In hockey, like, it's not easy because there's so many things that can happen. You know, the puck bounces the wrong way. Goalies. Yeah. Like, 
you run into a hot goalie. And, like, that's more attuned to football where, like, the better team should win, but, like, the worst team could just get organized, not concede, and get lucky. And, yeah. ugh. Although we do have the advantage of... Fan who's like super pumped that we're talking about eight seed hockey right now. <laughs> yeah, but unlike you know American sports or a playoff series, we haven't had to play them four times in a row. And we each time that we've played them this season has been a very different instance, which I think but, is remarkable uh, that we've been able to beat them each time. Think about uh, like American football. How many times a team beats a team in their division twice in a the season, then meets in the playoffs and the other team wins? So I don't like, watch American football anymore. So <laughs> the 2009 through 12 Jets is, is that what you're talking about, Poppy? Well, we beat the Patriots that one time, but can't wait. I feel like the Steelers Ravens always like one of those teams went two and zero and beat them in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a year or most of the time they do the double over the Browns, but we've never met them in the playoffs since like 2002. So. Anyway, enough about American sports. Kelly woke up there for 400 yards that day. How did it turn out? <laughs> enough about American sports, Polly. Blake Bortles beat the Steelers in a playoff game. That was pretty crazy. So enough about know. American sports. <laughs> <laughs> That's the All only right. good thing I have in my life when it came to American football is Blake Bortles beating the Steelers in Heinz Field. Mark Sanchez going and beating Tom Brady. Yeah. All right, guys. Before we sign off, uh, real quick predictions, 30 seconds to a minute. What do you think happens? Nathan, let's start with you. Uh, I think this one's going to extra time. I don't think it'll go to penalties. I'm going to say 2-1 in United's favor. Because as much as we malign Keppa and that defense, I think... It, it always just I always get that vibe when I'm watching any kind of sport and I know the team that I love is going up against a bad defense. The bad defense always like turns it up for that game and you're just like, why couldn't you be the bad defense for us too? Um I, I think Chelsea will play a little bit tighter. Lampert's gonna have the guys ready to go. Um but yeah, I'll say I'll say two one in extra time. Um give me a Martial goal and give me a Pogba goal. And then I think Christian Pulisic is going to score an equalizer to make it 1-1. And in my group chat, my friends and I are going to be like, fuck you, Christian Pulisic. We don't mean it, but, like, seriously, like, right now, fuck you. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Polly? I don't know. Extra time, I think. Ugh. Have we ever beaten Chelsea at, at the new Wembley? I don't, like, in a not community shield? I don't think mm. so. Uh, uh, well, we played them. We've only played them once in the FA Cup final. There, played them in the FA Cup. No, we played them twice in the FA Cup final. Uh, yeah. Well, I forgot all about 2018 because I, my brain doesn't want to remember that one. Royal wedding uh, that day. Uh, oh, I don't know. I just, I just I feel I feel like these things. Like if you take a step back and look at them at the macro level, it's just going to go Chelsea's way. Um, it's it's also I've watched three. So make United, the pessimistic pick then. <laughs> I've watched three United Chelsea games this year in three different locations, none of which have been the bar, and we've won all three. And I think this week I'm gonna repeat a location, so that could be a disaster. 
Repeat the location that we won 4-0. <laughs> uh, that, that is one location I cannot repeat. <laughs> so, all right. You heard it, heard it here first. Uh, uh, Paul yeah. is the reason we lose. Uh, it probably will be. It probably will be. <laughs> I would have to be in my old delivery truck at, for Best Buy appliances uh, for us to repeat any of the performances against Chelsea. And uh, since I'm furloughed from that position and also don't want to work for him anymore because I run communications for a soccer team, we're going to see how my house works on Sunday if it's got the juju. I mean, now I'm going to I'm gonna have to go outside right now and explain to my fiancé why we have to stay at her parents' house for like an extra three hours <laughs> so that I can watch the game in a different location before going to my mom's house for a barbecue that we then might be late for because I had to stay at my fiancé's parents' house. <laughs> For 140 really minutes because there's an extra time and penalties. Just so that I didn't repeat locations. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be watching in the car on the on a road trip, um, so I'll probably be in and out of service on that Ooh. one. So I may not even be able to watch some of it. That's dangerous, Colin. Uh, the last time I watched United well, play I'm Chelsea not on a road trip. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna go with three-one United. Sort of akin to the Man United Arsenal game from a few years ago or two years ago, where Chelsea is going to have 60 to 70 percent of the possession on this one, but we score a couple goals in the first half and then another one to finish the game off on the counter in the second half. Actually, I, I think I may go with Chelsea actually opening the score and then us taking advantage of their overconfidence from that. Well, when we concede first, we don't win, so. Oh, well, never mind then. Sunday's the day we turn yeah. that around. <laughs> All right. Have uh, we, even, we, we haven't conceded a goal in the FA Cup yet. No, we conceded one to Norwich. Oh, you're right. We did. Yeah. Todd Cantwell signed him. Yeah, we we're, were scouting him that game. Yeah. As we do every Norwich game we watch. Yeah. <sighs> And then, and then everybody comes at you with Emmy Buendia. I got news for you, people. Emmy Buendia is not good enough to play at any of the top six clubs in England, yeah. let alone United. Maybe there's an there's an idea for a podcast episode. Once the season ends, we can look at all the relegated teams and see which of, one of them we would cherry pick uh, for players. So I think that about does it for us on this episode. Um, stay tuned next week. We're gonna do a post Chelsea podcast wrapping of what you know, whatever happens. Polly's got his head in his hands right now, so <laughs> it's not looking good for him. Uh, but we are going to have, or I'm not sure how many of us will be on this because there's a lot of scheduling that comes into it. But uh, we're going to have Ram and Jimmy from We Ain't Got No Podcast of the We Ain't Got No History Chelsea SB Nation blog. Um, we're going to have them on for a post-game reaction at some point next week. Oh, and let's go. We're back to Premier League action. Yeah, I will be on that, Colin. <laughs> let's get that five some going. It's going to be so hostile. And yeah. I'll tell you my schedule right now. Like, you give me any time between midnight and midnight, Monday through Tuesday, I'll be on it. <laughs> <laughs> any time in a 48-hour window, Polly is there. All and right. remember, Polly is a notoriously uh, goes to bed early guy and wakes up early. So really, huge goes to bed early guy, wakes up early guy. This this is important for him. Yeah, 
We'll, we, we'll make it happen. We um, get up for the occasion. Neither of which are by Maybe. choice. <laughs> we'll see if United gets up for the occasion on Sunday. That'd be a good segue, had we not already talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm trying to segue into ending this now, Nathan. <laughs> what, you don't want to continue our tradition of delaying the end by about five to six minutes? I've got to go hang out with my fiance, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> So that does it for us here on the Busby Bay podcast. Um, nobody gets their bingo points because we haven't mes- mentioned uh, Jesse Altador or, or Giassi Zardes yet. But, Yo, Zardes, uh, though, yesterday. Or the Avengers. Or the Avengers. Yeah. Like, let's just wrap. Let's Zardes wrap. Had Nick, a great shut game up. Come on, mute him. <laughs> Tom, give him the Tony Reale mute button. Uh, I've been Colin. Thanks for joining us. I've been Nathan. You can follow me at, at Nathan is red. I'm starting to write more again. Um, if you loved my player ratings from the Crystal Palace game, expect some more hot fire for the uh, Chelsea game because uh, I will purposefully lower scores just to upset you in the comments. You're supposed to say Alvita Zane. Alvita Zane.